Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. This podcast is brought to you by Blackaby Ministries International. Welcome to the third episode of the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. It's great to be with you. My name is Sam Camp, and I'm the Director of Media at Blackaby Ministries International, and I get the privilege to talk with Richard Blackaby uh, about leadership today. It's good to be with you again. Always good to be with you. There are some some age-old questions regarding leadership. We've we've already covered your definition of leadership. So one burning question down through the ages, (laughs) if you will— is of course are our leaders born or are our leaders made? In a couple of minutes here, just tell us uh, what's the, what's the, the answer. The answer that age old question once and for all. Put that yeah, to bed. if you'll just yeah put it to rest <laughs> for us. We've we've all been dying to know. <laughs> well, one thing I think has been said before is that I'm not aware of any leaders that were not born. So uh, they're they're all, they're all born. But whether you're born as a leader already or whether you develop into a leader over time, that's the question. And I would, I would say that I think it's both. And that sounds like uh, a bit of a cop-out to <laughs> me, Richard. Why don't you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want, you want further explanation. I, uh, yeah. There's certainly something to be said for how, how you're wired at birth. Uh, and there's there's a lot of issues, and we we unpack some of that in our book on spiritual leadership. But uh, for instance, firstborn children. I'm a firstborn child, and I typically act like really. A I, child. I had I had no idea. <laughs> there, I've got four younger <laughs> siblings, and all all uh, four of my siblings are accomplished, well educated people. But it's fascinating to me how even now in our middle age. Uh, when we get together, so often they still will look to me as, well, Richard, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, or, you know, what, what, how do we solve this? Uh, mm. and, and the thing about being a firstborn is that you get more experience than the younger kids in, in responsibility. When, you know, if there's three children and the parents are going to run out for an hour to the store, they don't turn to the youngest one and say, okay, you're in charge. You know, look out for your older two brothers. You know, they always will look to the oldest child and say, hey, you, you, here's my number. If you need, call me if anything happens. If the fu- house is on fire, drag your two siblings out the door. Uh, yeah. But they're just, you do more babysitting. The youngest one doesn't babysit because they don't have anybody to look after. The, the, it's the, um, the older ones. And they're typically the biggest, strongest uh, best educated of their siblings because, of course, they're farther down the road in their in their, their development. So they're used to having people under them that they can kind of boss around. And so it's no wonder that the majority of, like, American presidents have been firstborn children. The, the majority of astronauts, uh, kind of overachievers, if you will, have been firstborn uh, because they're just wired that way. They They've been socialized that way. Uh, but also, uh, sometimes size makes a difference. And you wouldn't think so, especially in a modern society like ours. But if, for instance, if you're a boy and you were always big for your age or you uh, were unusually strong or even if you were just really smart or you were really charismatic, 
there are just some people that um, stand out. That, for instance, if you're if you were always pretty fast and strong for your age, and so you were always the hero on your sports team, or you were made the quarterback of the football team because you could throw farther and better than anybody else, hmm. or run faster. And so everybody cheered for you, and everybody looked to you to kind of save the day when uh, the team was losing. And when the team won, you were kind of the hero. Well, you you, uh, you, you might have been genetically just wired to be faster or more athletic than others, but that um, you know that that's not something you chose. It's not something you went to school to learn how to necessarily be stronger. It just you were genetically wired that way. Uh, you were more athletic. You weren't clumsy. You had great eyesight. Those are all things you're born with, and but they can play out and be leveraged without you even realizing it to where people look to you for leadership. Do you think that's a matter of of because maybe they're they're gifted in certain ways or born with with certain abilities or with a certain height or disposition? that necessarily means that maybe there are given more opportunities yeah. uh, earlier on to lead and that and yeah. and because of that you know you know the the chance of them developing into a leader is greater than someone who hasn't been yeah you're you know and so, and some of that is so is really socialization uh because the adults look and see that you're the biggest kid in the room and so they say okay you're here you do this you be in charge uh, but it, your size is what that you were born with is what's giving you the opportunities, hmm. and so uh, th- th- you know. And interestingly, when they've done studies of top CEOs, even in modern times, I mean, in the last decade, is it is it surprising to you that the average uh, CEO of large companies, even now, is a male? And typically, the males are above average in height. You think, why aren't CEOs average height? Why, yeah. I mean, what, how would being six foot two make you any better of a CEO than if you're five foot ten? But the fact is that the majority, that the, the, there's more, that the average height of the top CEO is higher, taller than just the average employee. Now, why, why would that be? You know, I mean, you'd say, surely, I mean, I mean, back in the Middle Ages, if, if you're going to look for the captain, you know, a general uh, of, of soldiers, and you're all wielding swords and shields and riding horses, well, physical ability and strength might really make a difference. If I'm going to follow someone into battle, I want to follow a big guy who's really strong and can right. swing the sword and kill a lot of people in front of me. Uh, but if he's a CEO just running a meeting... It doesn't matter what he can bench press. It doesn't matter if he can shoot an arrow, you know. It's uh, but so why do we still hire people like that? Well, because I think innately we, when you literally, when you look up to someone physically, they are much more imposing than when you're looking down to maybe someone that's that's quite short. And so, if if you've been looked down upon physically your whole life because you were maybe un, you know unusually short, the odds of you becoming the CEO of a major company, are against you. That doesn't mean you can't lead, and that doesn't mean there aren't any short people that are leading, but uh, statistically, you have a better chance of getting to the top office if you physically appear to be above average. That even to this day, 
genetics do make a difference. So I, so I would say on the one hand, how there may be some natural gifts and some natural experiences that through no uh, merit of your own, you've just had handed to you, just, just by the genes you were given or by the fact that you happen to have been born first and not the fourth child in your family. But I would also say... That, yeah, so so what help you know what yes. hope is there for us yeah. average height <laughs> yeah, right. uh, individuals? Uh, yeah, I gotta say before everybody is ready to just throw themselves in front of a bus now and say there's no chance for me, to say on the flip side is that leadership can be learned. You can learn, uh, you can develop uh, abilities, and of course in our modern society it it does. Physical strength, physical stature is not the most important thing in leadership today. Uh, it may give you sort of a psychological advantage sometimes, but people that are gifted with humor, who are gifted at problem solving, who are gifted with verbally and they're, they know how to communicate well, uh, there's lots of ways where you can develop skills uh, to motivate other people, to be thoughtful of other people. Uh, to just downright to work hard. I know people that just simply work harder than people that are more gifted than them. You know, I I have a PhD, but when I entered the PhD program years ago, I was no way near the smartest person in the room. And I went through a, with a whole cohort of of students at the same time. We had to go through a whole series of tests and uh, papers and language studies just to qualify to get in the program. And on, at every step, people were falling by the wayside. They're being failing certain parts of the entrance requirements and dropping out. And it was just kind of like survivor. By the time you walked across the stage, there was just a small remnant of all the people that had applied when we went in. But I was one of the survivors. And I tell you what, German just about <laughs> was my undoing. I had to have two years of German and a year of French, and I was terrible at languages. You had to take uh, kind of an intelligence test. And I let's just say I did not top the charts with that. Uh, I, there were people in that room that lapped me, I think, on the intelligence test. And so I'm looking at these people in awe, saying, what on earth am I doing here? And But I, I had tenacity. I worked hard. I put in long hours. Uh, I, I did whatever I had to do to, to, to get the job done. And so genetics had not favored me with language ability and incredibly high IQ, uh, but I did know how to work hard. And so uh, I could make up for my deficiencies in other areas. And so I would say that's why we do this podcast is to say uh, wherever you're at, you can learn and you can improve as a leader. If you're willing to reflect, if you're willing to Honestly take a look at how you're doing things. Honestly evaluate the, the fruit, the results of your leadership, and say, I know it could be better, so uh, what do I need to do? There's lots of ways to grow as a leader. Just, just reading books, just reflecting on, here's some good leadership skills, and here's what I'm doing. How do I need to adjust? Um, and so you can do that as well. I think, uh, in fact, I, I, the last thing I'd just say on that is that Sometimes people who are just naturally born as leaders get kind of lazy because it always comes easy for them. They don't, they don't know why they're good at leading because they've just always done it. 
They've just mm. they've just yeah. entered into a room and they just started to their their presence just commanded respect. You know, they they say that uh, I think it was um, John Adams who said of of uh, George Washington that George Washington his whole life he was always asked to lead, but he was like six three, six four. He was he was always the tallest man in the room. So every time they're looking for some military commander or some person who's going to be a good president he towered above everybody in the room and so you, you know you couldn't you, you always saw him you know he, you couldn't not see yeah, him yeah he was i mean he was always stood out and and he often showed up at meetings dressed in his military uniform and so like <laughs> who are we going to pick to be in charge of this military operation oh there's george a, a head taller than everybody else wearing his brilliant military uniform i guess maybe we should have him do that uh so you know there's some people that it will just kind of come naturally to them uh, to lead. And, and so they're, for one thing, they're not really good at teaching others to lead because they don't even know why they're good themselves. Uh, but then there's other people that just have learned how to lead. They've, just, they've read, they've studied, they've gotten a, a leadership coach, they've had a mentor, uh, they've looked in the mirror and said, I can't do that again. Uh, that, boy, I messed that one up. And so over time, uh, they learned to do the things that helps facilitate good leadership. So, yeah, you can you both uh, get to know yourself well, know what maybe works for you, maybe how God has just kind of gifted you with some natural abilities, but then uh, supplement that with just becoming a student of leadership as well. Yeah, so so what would you say to those people who, who aren't naturally gifted, Um you know, you, you mentioned, you know, reading and, and studying as one. Is, is there anything else that, that you would recommend for people who, who, who aren't a, a foot taller than, uh-huh. than everyone else in the room? Well, you know, because leadership is a people business, learn how people uh, function. Hmm. Learn what motivates people. You know, you, you might be the smallest person in the room. You might not be an eloquent public speaker. Uh, you might not just command presence by your just physical presence, but you might really learn how to encourage people, uh, and you might learn how to be thoughtful of people, and to recognize people, and to uh, praise people when appropriate. And you you may become the kind of you might you might really be good with appropriate humor, and where you might be just a really a positive person. And so even when others are despairing and giving up. You still have hope, and you're still confident, and um, and you become the kind of person that when there's a difficulty that people are trying to solve, they always want you around because you're positive, you're encouraging, you're a problem solver, uh, you're not negative, uh, you're not critical. So there, there's lots of things you can do to develop that, and I and also it just never hurts to uh, unpack. Uh, experiences that you have. So if you lead a meeting and it seems as if it just you lost control of the meeting or people were bored or you couldn't get any anyone to volunteer, don't just go away and say, well, oh, I guess just people don't want to volunteer. You know, I, I, I see this a lot in churches. I have people that'll say, well, I just can't get volunteers in the church today. Everybody's just too busy. And I'll say, well, don't just assume that because people aren't volunteering for you. Don't assume it's because everyone's too busy or they're too carnal or they're too lazy. It might be that the way you're asking for volunteers or the way that you present yourself or the way you present the possibility, it's not inspiring. Nobody wants to do what you're trying to lead them to do. 
so go back and say, okay, I presented the, the opportunity this way. I used these words. I conducted myself this way, and nobody volunteered. So let me analyze what I did or what I didn't do because the fact is people are volunteering all the time for things. Um, and so it's not like nobody is willing to volunteer. It's just that no one volunteered for me. So let me reflect on what I did, what I said. And, and oftentimes it, it really helps if you can have enough uh, uh, sense of self-esteem and security that you can ask someone in the room, someone that's watching you, to say, well, tell me how that came across. I mean, I gave my little spiel and then not one person volunteered. Is it, was there something missing in my spiel? Uh, you know, because sometimes we, we'll actually be, we'll sound very negative or we'll say things that just sink our own boat. You know, we'll say things like, well, I, I really need two volunteers. And then we'll say something like, but if no one volunteers, I'm not sure what we're going to do. You know, or it, it, it may be a lot of hard work and, but we need somebody to do this. Or the last two people who volunteered never did fall through and now we're stuck. Uh, you know, I mean, well, they don't even realize what they're doing, but they're saying things that are scuttling their own effort. And what they really need is someone who's watching them to say, well, listen, why did you say that? I mean, you had them. I, I sense people were willing to volunteer. And then you said this and it just shut everything down. Or it just sounded so negative. Or you ended on a negative note instead of a positive note. Or, you know what, the, the last people who volunteered, you never thanked them, you never recognized them, you never re rewarded them. And so when you do that for very long, word gets out, uh, hey, it doesn't pay to volunteer for that guy. Yeah. So, I mean, there's lots of ways that you can, if you will analyze your leadership or lack of success, you can actually grow and develop into a better leader. But it takes a certain amount of, uh, certainly honesty and and some security to say, I, I don't want to take this personally. Leadership is just a function that that God has given me, and so I want to be the best I can at it. And and it may be a little painful at times to have to recognize I really have to grow in some areas, but hey, it'll be worth it in the end when I'm a better leader as a result. Well, I think that's such an encouraging word to to anyone in in any function of leadership from just small things to big things, no matter what it is, that that just a, a practical takeaway is 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 make time for self-reflection, self-analysis. And, and if you want to take that one step further, have someone that you trust f give you that feedback. Yeah. Well, I think this is a great place to have a quick break, and we're going to come back um, with just a couple more questions uh, before we wrap up this podcast. You may have heard Richard mention a book he wrote with his father, Henry, called Spiritual Leadership, Moving People Onto God's Agenda. And right now, we want to offer an additional 10% off with coupon code PODCAST. So go to blackabystore.org and use code PODCAST at checkout to receive an additional 10% off. Okay, great. Well, welcome back. Uh, we just have one one final question that we want to discuss here uh, before we wrap up this podcast today. A common question that we get in regards to leadership is, do leaders make history or does history make leaders? I love that question uh, because I'm a history major. I have a PhD in history. And when I was doing doctoral work, you, you really couldn't major in leadership. 
and I keep identifying my age here through all this because now you can get all kinds of degrees in leadership. But uh, back in the day, back back in uh, what was it, pap- papyrus? Or yeah, what was the... The, uh, yeah. When you go off to the uh, monastery to study in the cloister somewhere, um, and 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 so I was always drawn to leadership, or I was always drawn to history because it was about leaders. Now you can always tell, by the way, you know when I whenever. I talk about history. Uh, people either hated it in school or they loved it. It's just—it's rare that you find someone a, a fence sitter about history. <laughs> and invariably, the people who loved it loved it because of their teacher. They, anyone who loved history can tell you the teacher who made history come alive to them in school. And if they hate it, they can usually tell you a teacher that bored them to tears uh, because the bad teachers talked about dates, about boring councils and meetings and documents and droned on and on about a bunch of stuff that just bores you to tears. But the good teachers made history come alive because they talked about the people, ordinary people that rose to the challenge of their day. And when everybody else was giving up, when everyone else was losing hope, uh, this particular individual rose up and saved the day. And I, and I love that about history because in every era, whenever there was a problem, a leader would rise up who was used by God to address the problem and to save the people, save the day. And so I began to realize early on that history was all about people, people who made a difference. And when I used to teach classes at the seminary on history, I would say, you need to live your life in such a way that 400 years from now, people need to know your name for a midterm exam. It, this midterm exam is not about just a list of, of dead people from years ago. This is all about people who live their life in such a way that poor students like you now have to remember their name hundreds of years later. So how would you have to live so that people had to know your name? So anyway, history is about people. But the question is, do do individuals shape history or does history shape people? And so uh, some of the classic examples of that are, for instance, uh, Winston Churchill, probably one of the great examples. Yeah, Churchill wanted to be a leader his whole life. I mean, he was in government for many years, was always trying to do something great. His uh, ancestor was the Duke of Marlborough, one of my heroes, the Duke of Marlborough, we'll have to talk about him in a podcast sometime, but for... If, if you could see what I'm seeing, it's, it's Richard's <laughs> face just lighting up as, I could, as, uh, as he mentions these. I could pull off my shelf a 2300-volume biography on the Duke of Marlborough <laughs> that still brings tears to my eyes with joy every time I even think about it. Um, but Churchill had this distinguished uh, ancestor that... Uh, actually, the Duke of Marlborough, his last name was Churchill. He was a Churchill from whence uh, Winston Churchill was in the same family tree. But, uh, but then after the Duke of Marlborough uh, did, uh, won so many glorious victories, he was made uh, the Duke of Marlborough. And so uh, Churchill always wanted to be great like his ancestor. In fact, Churchill was born literally was physically born in Blenheim Castle, which is the palace that was built for the Duke of Marlborough. And so he he grew up uh, coming over to his uncle's house and seeing this massive, massive 
palace uh, built in tribute to the greatness of his ancestor. And so Churchill always wanted to be great like him. And he, and he tried and tried and tried and was always on the, on the fringe. He was a bit of an extremist, and he would say things to the extreme, and, and it would turn people off, and people thought he was eccentric and out of touch and old-fashioned. And uh, basically, he was uh, in the backwater politically right up until World War II began. And uh, he wasn't in power when Hitler uh, began invading Europe, and Churchill was just kind of a backbencher, uh, a guy that nobody really was listening to. They all thought he was just a, kind of a quack, a crazy extremist. But all of a sudden, they realized they needed someone like him to be able to stand up to a Churchill. All these civilized gen- British gentlemen, nobles, uh, just did, were being blown away by this ruthless Adolf Hitler. What they really needed was a guy like Churchill. And and so Churchill, by that time, is already a senior adult. So he, he's tried all of his life, all the way up to his senior adult years, uh, and failed to make a name for himself, except a bad name. And then all of a sudden, Hitler and history arrive. And I think most people would say, and quite confidently, had it not been for World War II, we would, we would never really know anything about Churchill. He would just be in a long line of undistinguished descendants of the Duke of Marlborough who never did much with himself. But with World War II, suddenly he becomes one of the greatest leaders of the 20th century. That's why things that historians love that bores other people to tears is, for instance, when you rate presidents. And every year, groups of historians rate U.S. presidents. Who is the greatest? And typically... Uh, and the, the numbers change. Some people's numbers go down over time. Some go up over time. But some of the, the, the presidents who are always the, in, the, in the top five is uh, Washington, mm-hmm. uh, Franklin Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, Harry Truman. Uh, those, those guys um, are always up there at the top. And what's interesting about – oh, and, and then Abraham Lincoln – he, he oftentimes makes it, he and George Washington typically vie for the number one, number two spot. What's interesting is that all of those guys basically led in warfare. They all led through a crisis in the nation's history. Uh, Lincoln, perhaps the greatest crisis of all in the Civil War. Washington, the next greatest crisis, the Revolutionary War, just getting, becoming independent from England. And so is it, is it, it's interesting that perhaps the two considered perhaps the two greatest presidents led in the two greatest, most challenging times. Mm. So one thing you might say is if if those if Abraham Lincoln had been uh, living in a different time, he might never have even been elected president. I mean, he was a good speaker, but he had a lot of things going against him. Uh, and George Washington, if if it was in time of peace and prosperity, maybe in the, like the roaring 20s, uh, you, you might not have wanted a general uh, to be the president. You might have wanted a businessman to be the president instead. But, um, but in that day, you, you, you were never sure if England or Spain or France was going to invade you. And so you wanted a strong general type person to be your president. And so um, what, what, I, what I take from that is if you live in a difficult time, 
if maybe in your family or your business or your church, uh, maybe, maybe God's called you as a pastor to a church with some real struggles right now. And you might say, well, poor unfortunate me. Other people get called to churches where there's no problems and everything goes great, or they get called to a, a company where they just roll on from one profit to the next, but I've got all these problems to deal with. Well, that may be so, but the flip side is you also may have the opportunity to become a much greater leader because you've got a greater crisis in front of you. History is staring you in the face, and it will either destroy you or it will make you. And history has a way of making people into great leaders. It gives them the opportunity to be great. And so a lot of times people will look at various presidents and they'll say, well, this guy was actually very intelligent and he led well and he had good people skills. He just led at sort of a backwater time in American history where not much was going on and there weren't any great problems to solve. And it, and so they just they never had the opportunity to really demonstrate greatness because a great president wasn't required at that time. Whereas in other times in history, a great leader was required and needed. And so those people had the opportunity to, to rise to the occasion. The last thing just to say about that is if you look at, oftentimes people say that Abraham Lincoln was the greatest president in American history. But the president right before him was Buchanan. And Buchanan faced all the same problems that Lincoln faced, but he refused to address them. He refused to solve those problems. And and because of that, he kind of pushed everything down line where Lincoln eventually had to deal with them. And, and so when you see the presidents rated, Buchanan is often rated as the worst president in American history, and Lincoln is often rated as the best president. I mean, just one followed the other. Uh, they, and they, they, they lived in the same time, facing the very same problems. But one refused to address the worst problem in his nation's history, and because of that, he's rated as a horrible leader. The other one waded in uh, and dealt with the, the horrific issues of his day. It ultimately killed him. He got killed, for, assassinated for it, but history looks back on him to say uh, he perhaps did perhaps some of the greatest work for the nation. And so if you're facing a difficult problem right now, uh, before you want to run and, uh, and flee in the other direction, you need to realize that history may also be giving you an opportunity to rise to greatness as well and uh, to, to lead at a level you might not have ever needed to lead uh, if things had been going better. But because things are in a difficult place, uh, you now have an opportunity to see just what kind of leader God can make you to be and what history can call you to be. Uh, and that could be really exciting. So if you've got to lead... You don't want to lead at a time when no one, there aren't any great problems to solve. That's what leaders do. They solve problems. Uh, and if there's no problems, you don't really even need a leader. But in times of great problems uh, is when you need great leaders. And so if you're facing some great problems, uh, ask God if he doesn't have you there for such a time. And maybe he's preparing to build you up into the kind of leader that can truly become a great leader for your day as well. I, don't, I doubt that Lincoln, before he became president, uh, had you know, done a lot of study and preparation to lead huge armies and to deal with all kinds of, of troublesome generals, but he had to learn how to do that when that suddenly became his moment in history. And you know, the last thing I would say with that, too, is that 
uh, if God has called you to a, a leadership role, maybe he's made you a parent. You, he's, you've got uh, a couple of teenage children now. Or maybe you've been called as a pastor of a church, but there's a lot of problems in that church. Or maybe you've been led to a business, and now you're discovering that there are some real issues with the, some of the employees. Well, just understand this. If, if you feel that God led you to those places, then God knew what you'd find when you got there. Right. And yet he, he led you there anyway, and w- which means that if you think that your challenge is bigger than your, your leadership can handle, just understand God led you there anyway which means the problem may be bigger than your leadership right now, but your leadership can grow until it's bigger than the problem. And if you've got teenage kids that you don't know what to do with, well, God gave you those kids, and he's entrusted them to you, and God can grow you as a parent until you are able to deal with those kids. And if, you're, if God led you to that church, you may not have known about all the problems that would be waiting for you when you got there, but God knew they were there. And if God led you there, it's because he wants to grow you. And so the history that you find yourself in now in that church or with those kids, God will use that to grow you and make you a greater leader than you've ever been before. And so uh, don't be intimidated. Don't quit. God knows what he's doing. You may not yet be the leader you need to be, but give God time. He, He has a great way of growing people until they are the size of leader that history needs them to be in that time. Well, that's an encouraging word, and I think that's a, a perfect place to, to end this week's podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I just wanted to say thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us, podcast at blackaby.org. And if you're into ratings and reviews, we would love for you to do that wherever you get your podcast: Google Play, Apple Podcast, and uh, consider subscribing and sharing this podcast with your friends. Thanks.